Hey guys, and welcome to the very special 100th episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. So for this very special episode of Personality Bingo, I am ecstatic to say that we have the incredible Tara Flynn. Tara is an Irish actress and writer. I mean, I tried to write out a list of her credits there and it's kind of embarrassing to the rest of us. The extent of Tara's work is just kind of draw, drop, draw, drop, draw, jaw, jaw dropping. It's so good that I have been rendered speechless. Um, So let let me just give you a a brief overview of of what we're looking at. Um, I mean, it's right across all the mediums. It's theatre, it's radio, it's TV, there's books, there's comedy. It's unbelievable. Uh, you may know from Irish Pictorial Weekly, Line of Duty, amazing show. Moon Boy, amazing show. Doctors over in the UK, Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle, The Oma Jalili Show, The Impression Show with Culshaw and Stevenson, Hide and Seek, The Morbeg, she does voices in that for Molly, Blind Date, which she does the voiceover for, Taranoia, her brand new podcast in the Headstuff Podcast Network. Be sure to go check that one out. Uh, the Panel, uh, The Nulas, uh, the Abbey Theatre, she's been at the Edinburgh Fringe, and as well her book, uh, Rage In, which is uh, one of the first books that Headstuff have got on board with, which is also kind of amazing, and that's off the back of uh, her weekly column that she wrote for Headstuff, all of which you can find at headstuff.org. I mean, guys, the woman's an absolute machine, as well as that, she's such a well-known and well-loved figure in Irish society. I'm pretty sure anyone who listens to my podcast uh, owes her a great deal of gratitude for the amazing work she did for the women and people of this country uh, in this year's Repeal the Eighth referendum, and obviously, I mean, the result of that was so overwhelming and in no small part down to the work that Tara did and others like her uh, I know that that took an amazing toll um, on her in so many different ways but like what that woman did for, for the women of this country and, and, and for people who've had these impossible struggles it, it, you know we're just never going to be able to thank her enough so um What I can thank her enough for, though, is taking the time to come in and sit down with me for this, our 100th episode. I really don't think we could have got a more perfect guest, especially at this time of year. Uh, We're coming into, you know, the the, the new year and after the year that Tara's had. I mean, this really timed out perfectly. I haven't done the episode just yet. I'm so excited to sit down with her, though, uh, in the next 20 minutes. And um, we're going to get into it. So, look, guys, I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that this is our 100th episode. Who would have thought we would have made it here? I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe you did. Who knows? Who cares? We're here. Uh, What a journey it's been. I know it's such an overused phrase, but I'm so blown away by the support that this podcast uh, has received. We've got tens and tens and tens of thousands of listens uh, over our 100 episodes, and we've got such a loyal supporter base. I mean, I can see it in our numbers on a weekly basis. Obviously, the goal is to grow and grow and grow and grow, but I'm so grateful for those of you who do tune in every week, whether you're someone who just tunes in when a guest uh, catches your eye, that's totally fine too. I, I totally get it and I'm so grateful for anyone who's taken the time to get in touch, let me know what they think, pass it on to a friend, whatever it might have been, whether it's just as simple as a review, a rating, a comment on our iTunes um, on our iTunes page. It all makes such a difference and you are such a part of the success that this podcast has become. I'm also so grateful who, to everyone who's made it happen. I mean, obviously to the guys at Headstuff, that's Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary, a huge shout out to you as well as that to the amazing Aaron Lindsay and Taz Kelleher who over the space of our 100 episodes have done such an amazing job obviously uh, Taz was so um, 
pivotal in the, the beginning of this podcast and I was so blessed to find her and you know when it was time for Taz to move on to a better place uh, don't, don't mind that wasn't better it was a much worse place but when it was time for Taz to move on I was so grateful um, and so lucky so blessed to find the amazing Erin Lindsay who uh, has picked up that torch and by God has she ran with it so a huge thank you to everyone who's made this possible as well as that to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for their amazing theme music and of course to the brilliant Conor Nolan for his beautiful artwork guys it's been an amazing journey uh, I'm humbled to say we have 100 it's an amazing thing to be able to say to people I, I'm, I'm I'm bragging I'm just bragging to people that we have 100 episodes I, I've never had 100 anything um, so it, it, it's kind of amazing and uh, look I'm going to finish waffling but just a huge thank you to you for uh, all that you've done in, in, in supporting this podcast the only reason I do it is for Yila and uh, what a journey it's been I'm excited to bring you many many more so look guys I have a feeling this one's going to be amazing please enjoy the incredible Tara Flynn playing personality bingo with Tom Moore Tara Flynn, ready to play personality bingo? You know I am, Tom. This is amazing. I am so excited. I'm so excited too. It's number one hundred. Stop. You know that's that's no just pressure. no pressure. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is such an honor. I'm honored. <laughs> no, we can't do this. <laughs> I can't go back. It's not. Te- it's to bingo, not tennis. Yeah, you're right. So, right. Okay, I'll get on with it. I'll get on with it. I'll yeah, get brilliant. Um, for the hundredth time, I should say um, that. Uh, so how it all works is I've got sixty minutes on the clock. I've got sixty balls in here and sixty corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper. Would you do me a favor and read out the five? I've got four. Yep. Seventeen. Right. Twenty-nine. Okay. Fifty-nine. Lovely. Fifty-one. Excellent. And blank. And blank. Would you like to make that blank into a number? Yeah. Will I write it in? Please do. I'm clicking the pen. This is whoop. This is clicking the pen. What did you go for? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Any mm. reason? I don't know. Just a magical combination of numbers: three, seven. They're always in magic spells, That's and true. the Bible. So why not? Yeah, you're you're invoking the the, the powers I of everyone don't know in that. What I'm invoking, but there it is now. Thirty-seven. We'll soon find out. And I should say, <laughs> if uh, all our numbers, including number thirty-seven, does come up, that means the tables are turned, and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world. Oh my god, that's amazing! All right, so right. Well, let's give it a spin. Okay, here we go. First out the gate. Oh my god, it's number thirty-seven. It is not. I swear to God, look at that. Jesus, Jesus Christ. The the question is, are you a witch? <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been called worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I... God, oh, that is mad. That's mad. That's really mad. It's really happening. Are they all 37s yeah. in there? And did you just do sort of reverse Darren Brown me? Yeah. Kind of, okay. You implanted 37 in This podcast would be a lot more successful no, wow. if I could do that. Wow, oh, so 37. Yeah, I'm not a witch. Okay. Uh, I wish I had powers like that. That would be incredible. Um, often I get, you know, little intuitions for people in terms of if they if they ask me a question I can, and like sure, maybe for some advice, I might get a little sort of, hey, yeah, my gut says maybe see if this would be a good thing. Mm. But it's certainly not magic and it's certainly not predictions and I often get things wrong. But yeah, I would love powers. That would be great. That would be good. The actual question isn't, are you a witch? I just, ah, I felt you just invoked that one. I should say, you get to knock that one off, by the way. I want to give oh, you yeah, the satisfaction. Sorry, of course, I forgot oh, we were bingo. Yeah. Um, the real question, the real question is, who is the person who makes you laugh the hardest? Who is the person that makes you laugh? Oh, that's a terrible question because I've been to so many comedy gigs in mm. my life and people 
who work in comedy, as I have done myself, are very, very funny in general. They don't usually get booked again if they're not funny. But comedians do that thing where we stand down the back of the room and assess the jokes. So mm-hmm. we don't laugh out loud very much at gigs. If we laugh really hard at a gig, uh, it's usually, um, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's, it's a number 37 kind of a situation. Mm. I love Dublin Comedy Improv and everyone involved in that makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like Michelle Reed, people like... Uh, Dermot um, Whelan Dermot Carmody was in the group for a long time Ian Coppinger is one of the funniest people on the planet and he just starts with no material and just goes so that's a team game that really it's so surprising as well you just never know what's going to come out of your own mouth let alone anyone else's so the surprise factor really makes me laugh mm. yeah it's interesting Like, do you think that like, are you more inclined to laugh in day to day conversation than in like a scenario like a comedy show where you're supposed to laugh yeah definitely I, and I don't think it's it's just me booking authority and going don't tell me when to laugh <laughs> it's more that comedians sit there analysing what's happening how the joke is constructed where the audience is laughing, whether it's to do with rhythm and punctuation or with the words themselves or or the routine itself, if it's a nonverbal thing. But it's it's yeah, we're very boring that way. In a lot of ways, you often see the comedians down the back with their arms folded. It's not that they're not loving it. It's that they're they're appraising it a different way than uh, someone who's paid in because they're sitting there going, how's this working? How is this magician or wizard or witch creating this spell on this audience so there's a bit of that going on I think it's more about the building blocks than just enjoying ourselves for God's sake yeah, 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 what's yeah. wrong with us I know, I feel, yeah. right let's give it a spin <laughs> alright here we go number 46 do you have it I do not no worries number 46 <gasps> do you believe in an afterlife I don't mm. I did because I was brought up in a cult called Catholic Church just like everybody else and you know I really have great admiration for people of faith and I am jealous of people of faith who believe in an afterlife it gives them great comfort I don't have that comfort but I always kept an open mind well what do I believe in until my own dad died and when he died that really huge presence in my life and you know complex and big personality um, he once he was gone, he was gone, gone. And for me, that was like, I thought that if any presence could hang around, would would push his way forward to hang around, he'd be around. And he wasn't around. And it was, that was a really sort of, I sort of let go of even a lot of superstitions or, or hangovers from Catholicism or growing up in Ireland where we're so superstitious and we really feel that connection, I think, with, with whatever might be beyond. Um or the, the, the fairy folk or nature, you know, all our, our sort of innate paganism, which I love to think we're still holding on to a little bit. Um, and I think there's a, that great connection there. For me, it was the loss of someone that close and, and that important. And then he was just gone. There was just a silence. And But it wasn't sad to me. It didn't feel like a loss. It just felt like, oh, this seems logical. This is Oh, oh this has answered something for me. Many other people do feel a connection after someone is gone. They feel it stronger. So this is just me. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm not saying what I'll know in 10 years or not know. Um, <laughs> I might be able to answer it definitively in the 10 years. You never know. I hope not. But I don't. I don't anymore. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because um, 
one of the things I was telling you in the pub the other night that, that my grandparents both passed away recently yeah. and it was one of the things that I got to observe that because my granny saw my granddad die wow. and the great faith that they had like just that's wonderful unshakable yeah. and it was funny as my, my granny was slipping away over the summer it was one of the things that my mum was left with like I think she I don't think she meant this because you know like that I would have grown up going to mass and everything but at a certain point and especially as we learn more and more about the abuses in the church like like a lot of people we just kind of like we can't hard, get on board it was hard, whatever about our own personal beliefs, it was hard to stay part of that institution either way. Exactly. So, yeah. And and so, but one of the things she said, and as I said, I think she was kind of joking, maybe kind of not, but she was like, I, I think I'm going to pick up belief, you know, the older I right. get, because it was just that interesting thing. And it was such an amazing thing to see the, the, the strength that it gave, say, Granny in her last, like, absolutely, th- like her, her final days. What about what was your dad's relationship <laughs> to it? Did he, where, where did uh, he think he was going? That's a huge question because dad had dementia, and so dad, mm. um, was what they call an unreliable witness on that front. <laughs> okay. So we basically did two separate ceremonies. We did have a funeral mass for him, um. But then he was cremated. So we had a, a sort of a secular just that's where my sister and I said the few words. We didn't say them in the church. I mean, there was no it was no less special to us uh, who don't believe than it was for the people who, you know, the people who got loads out of the mass and were very much, you know, full believers. They they loved the ceremony, the second ceremony. Now, they wouldn't want it for themselves. <laughs> and it was very short. It was just us speaking, really, and a little bit of, of secular music. But I'm I, as I said at the beginning I'm jealous of that faith I think it's wonderful and it, it gives people such great comfort and such certainty I would never knock it you know I, when I talk about the cult of the Catholic Church obviously I'm talking about the indoctrination we get from, from, from as you say from what it turned out to be hypocritical organisers but that doesn't mean that the people going up to Mass every day are part of that. You know, they are just observing their faith and that's a very pure and very beautiful thing. I wish I had that. I just don't. I, I kind of went looking for it and I didn't find it. Mm. So uh, it's not that I kind of went, oh, this isn't cool. <laughs> I was 15 and never thought about it again. I thought about I think about it a lot. But as I say, don't know what will happen in my, my latter years, but I'm just, it doesn't, it doesn't offer me anything. I am so in awe of people. It does offer something too. Mm, amazing. Jealous. That's good as Ben. <laughs> All right. Number 11. Do you have it? I don't have number 11. No worries. Fix. Number Fix. I mean, you got your you 37. Seem you seem so lost. nice and kind yeah. and approachable, but you're really a cheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just mm. lulling into that false insecurity <laughs> with the first hard. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number 11. Do you have a role model? Do I have a role model? Um, well, here come the police. So <laughs> I don't know if the mics are picking up those sirens, but um, no, I don't really have a role model. I, I keep thinking about this. It, and also the people who influence me keep changing over time. Uh, I, I, there, I would have said loads of different people down through the years. Uh, at the moment, I guess my role model is the person I'm married to, is Carl, because he's lived a very different life to me, especially early on. And he has a great way of cutting through to the nub of of what's really happening. He has a great way of going, uh, is, is someone being mean or is someone hurt and acting out? Or is, is something um, a bad situation that needs remedying or is this something to let go? You know, he's brilliant at picking battles, I suppose. And 
really getting to what's important and I'm trying to learn a bit more from him so that would be my answer right now it's been so many people down through the years though yeah what's amazing to be able to say though about your partner that like there's someone you know you, you look up to and like you admire the way they live their life yeah I really admire he's very uh, you know he's very honest in, in that sort of uh, in terms of personal relationships he's very very um, he finds it easy to you know deal with customer service people because he's always polite but he's really direct you know he'll get refunds and I'll be just like I'm, I'm really cross and no refund it's not it's no good so he's my role model on the refund front yeah um, but you know people like my mum has been a role model um, my sister's been a role model she's she's brilliant at visual art and she's, she's a ceramicist it's just real integrity holding to what it is she wanted to do and even though that meant having to work loads of different jobs and all that sort of stuff to make it happen She's stuck at it. She's amazing. And then there have been comedy, people in comedy that I've really admired. And I have I love Flight of the Concords. I think they're incredible. But they made me want never to do a musical comedy ever again because they're so good. It's right. just been done. It's done. It's done perfectly. It's there. That's it. It exists. Why bother? Um, there have been, you know, comedy role models, acting role models. I, I loved Juliet Stevenson when I was much younger. I went to London in 89 for the summer to work in a horrible shop in Covent Garden and then use my student card to go to plays every night and she was there she was doing Hedda Gabler wow. at the time and I was just like oh, oh I love you so much yeah 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 <laughs> so different role models for different things I suppose um and I guess Colin McGorman would be one here now I really think he's got incredible integrity uh he's stood up even when it's painful or personal and that's something that makes real change in this country. So loads of role models, I guess. Mm. But my current top one would be Carl, but all of those others get special mention. Amazing. It's something that was interesting because I was going to frame this in the romantic context, but it's actually right across all your answers. The word integrity has popped up, I think, three times. Oh, God. No, but that's that's great. <laughs> but it, like, how important is that to you in other people? Uh, I suppose there are all different kinds of integrity and people mess up all the time. So it's not about holding someone to an impossible standard. It's about acknowledging their humanity and that we all mess up but that they are at least trying not to fuck other people over. You know, they're trying not to be arses to other people. Um, and that doesn't mean that someone is perfect. So I'm not talking integrity. I don't mean it's like a squeaky clean thing. No. But what I mean is that the core of the person has a goodness. The core of the person is doing their best to not mess other, mess other people around, not only feather their own nest. And, you know, we're all capable of doing that. We're all capable of going, well, I'm grand on that front. That doesn't affect me, so I won't speak out about it or I won't do anything about it and pay lip service to something. But I think when people take action and show that integrity in that way, then, uh, you know, th there's there's action in the grey areas. There's, you know, integrity comes is real strength I think and something I'd love to have more of I feel like you know I do my best but I mess up so much that I couldn't really say it about myself but it's something I really admire in others that's funny because that was going to be my question was when you do mess up like what's your relationship to messing up oh I collapse completely that's why my own podcast is called Taranoia because I do fall apart I just I, I hold myself to quite a high standard and I do mess up a lot. So I leave that space because as you get older, you realise you're gonna, it, the next one's around the corner. Um, and that you cannot please everybody. You can barely please anybody. So you have to just feel that what you're doing is right yourself. So you look for that personal integrity. And after that, 
you're going to mess up according to someone. You might even mess up according to yourself. And so I, I beat myself up for quite a long time. And then I shake myself and say, come on, the only thing you can take from this is, is some kind of lesson. The only thing you can do is give yourself a rattle and go, get back out there and just do better the next time. <laughs> and hope that that's enough. Because, you know, being enough is a struggle for most of us, mm. you know, especially according to our own reviews of ourselves <laughs> yeah yeah I mean what what for you what would your review of yourself have to be for it to feel like that's enough oh n- oh I'd be dead I'd be dead I'd be dead <laughs> yeah no I, I I always think I could do better I had to let go in my work though of perfectionism because that is it's, it creates inertia creatively like if you are looking for the perfect joke or the perfect performance or you're going to you know, especially if it's live work, it's never going to be perfect. And sometimes in that imperfection, there's something really special for the audience or special for you. You discover something else or in something you thought you knew or you maybe you find a new joke or a new note in a song that wasn't meant to be there or whatever it is. So I had to let go of that creatively because it stops you writing. It's, it's like the Flight of the Concourse thing. I can never do what they do, so don't do songs at all. Whereas I started a musical comedy with the Newless long time ago doing you know a musical comedy trio for people who ha- haven't heard of them I'm sure everybody has but just in case you haven't we did close harmonies and I loved all that and then I, I wrote some songs and I did a whole show of songs and then I kind of quietly packed them away you know get the people who came to the show got the album and then I it was on SoundCloud for a bit and then I quietly packed it away because it was just like no I'd, no it was I'm too exposed I can't no no these aren't good enough they're good and I thought they were good enough to perform at the time and now I'm just living with them and no they're not good enough and I'm not saying the things I want to say in them anymore and oh so yeah I'm very hard on myself but I try to park it for creative work in future when you look back at your creative work from earlier in your, in your career, whether that's like however many years ago, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Do you look back at it with uh, like a a fondness or is it with a cringiness? What, what does it look like to you now? Oh, mix of both. Absolute, almost equal mix of both. There's loads of cringing uh, about choices I made or things that I did. Um, and there's loads of uh, cringing at material I would have done or things I thought were funny or things that you had to say to be funny that were maybe mean or... And I regret those. I do cringe about that. Um, some of it's just kind of cute with retrospect. Some of it you're just like, oh, sure, I didn't know any better. And you have to you have to fail to learn. You have to fail to learn. And then some of it I'm really proud of. So it's a complete mixed bag. I don't know very many creative people who go on a, you know, a ladder type trajectory where you just keep going up. I don't know many people. It's more like snakes and ladders and... And learning and staying in the business. For me, resilience has been like, I know that's a kind of complex word, but just sticking at it when, you know, and it's too late now to retrain as anything. But <laughs> they won't have me. Won't have me, Tom. Um, but <laughs> I can't be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I would never be a lawyer. There's way too much homework. I only want to do creative homework. Um, so it's it's a very tricky one because when you are someone who's hard on yourself, looking back and cringing, you have to just have that sense of let it go. It was what it was, when it was. I'm just glad they there weren't camera phones and the internet for a lot of it. I, I, I do see younger performers and 
comics and singers and they're very exposed because it's all I mean the the trade-off is they can go global very quickly if something's successful it can just catch fire and go and they can be quite successful but if you mess up you know you need that space to mess up and now even if someone messes up peop, other people aren't giving them that space to go okay you, you messed up but grow go on now off you go and grow no it's like you're, you're cancelled it's over it's like whoa you know I think there's something in we have to ask of ourselves and of others to be as kind as possible and to do as much as we can in our work to not make life more complicated for other people. But if someone doesn't know yet or isn't there yet and messes up, let them off. Look at the rest of their body of work if, you know, or allow them the chance to have some more work so that they can they can move on from it. Or or don't take it out of context. If someone says one stupid thing is it the kind of thing they say all the time or was it an aberration or a misstep? It's re- context is really important. So I'm very glad that I didn't have the internet then. But don't worry, I'll mess up online, I'm sure. Or there'll be footage of me doing something really stupid very soon again. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Number 36. Do you have it? No. No worries. 36 and 37. I know, right? Mm. Uh, number 36. Do you feel more comfortable in the city or in the country? I grew up in the country, but I feel much more comfortable in the city. I love the country and I love a country fix. I grew up uh, outside Kinsale in County Cork, so I wasn't, but it wasn't on a farm. So it was kind of a weird, like dad worked up in Cork. Um, mum was a stay-at-home mum. So and there was very little public transport. There was the school bus. And so it was a very country life, although Kinsale was the sort of, especially as we got older, the sort of more social thing. Or if we went to other kids' houses after school, it was in Kinsale. But that kind of had to be arranged a week in advance because couldn't just get a bus home. And when we were too small, we couldn't just cycle home. So the freedom of a bike is something I will treasure forever. <laughs> I don't have one right now, but bikes were really like, you didn't have to wait for a lift. You didn't have to wait for the one bus that came on a Friday and it wasn't the school bus. So it was like, and then we get lifts from our folks sometimes into school and definitely into town. I loved growing up in the countryside and I think it really fueled my imagination because I would talk, actually talk to the animals, you know, go, go walking up the fields with the dog <laughs> and chat to him or her, you know, so mad. But we only had one TV channel at the time. So that's my excuse, you know. If I had humans around to talk to, I would have talked to them. But so uh, I love my countryside fix. I like going to the countryside every now and again. I love Kinsale, which is a lovely mix of both. And mum is in town now. So that's that's a nice mix of the two kind of bit of peace and quiet and a bit of space to breathe and imagine. And then that, I, I you know, bustle. I like a bit of bustle. And what's your relationship to just talking about talking to the nature or being in it what's your relationship to <laughs> that makes you sound crazier than I meant you to I am uh, I don't mind I think we all are a bit I don't mind that yeah but um, what is your relationship to boredom <gasps> oh I never get bored I never get bored there isn't enough time in the day for all the things in my head um, which again may sound crazy but I don't mind that label um, I there's just way too much in my head I will never ever be done uh, with all the things in my head, you know, some of them will be ex- executed and executed imperfectly. Some of them will work, um, but they're jostling in my head because there's there's music in there and there's there are books in there, fiction and nonfiction, uh, things I want to record that have happened recently and that I don't want to forget. 
all of those things take time and then the new ideas come in. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, I try to write something every day just to get something down, but could never be bored. And then outside of that, there are all all the books to read, all the books that will never get read. Like, I don't really know how people can be bored. I find it a very strange I, I mean, I do understand it. And I do remember Sundays, Sundays growing up, the sort of aftermath lull when nothing was open and you were just going, oh, please throw me in the bay. <laughs> please throw me in Kinsale Harbour. But because uh, then I can have a swim. But it, I, I don't I honestly don't know how people get bored when when they're you can write something down, you can draw a picture, you can I, I can't draw a picture, but I'm saying other people have other ways of expressing themselves than writing. I'm not talking about literacy. But there's just too much going on in this kaleidoscope of a madhead. <laughs> and, and you know when you are drawing from that kaleidoscope of madhead and you're putting those uh, that bit of writing down on paper on a daily basis, what what is it? Is that journaling or is it creative ideas, jokes, stories? It can, it can be anything. Sometimes I just open a document that is just jokes and I try to come up with just jokes. Even though I don't do stand-up anymore, you just never know where an idea will lead. So, But if I'm in that sort of shorter form, especially now that I'm not on Twitter, I used to use, to use Twitter for jokes. Yeah. So that was an outlet for that. Now I've got a document where I'll just write some jokes or develop some ideas. Other things are more like journal, but I don't really do that so much. But I try to write something every day, even if I delete it, even if I delete it, even if it's the words to a song that I will never see the light of day. I just try to keep that muscle flexed. Mm. What's your relationship to Twitter? Um, I said a, an unfond farewell. I miss the sort of 2009 to 2013 days. Um, where I would have been sort of more known for jokes. And no, it was very useful for activism because if people don't know, I, I did a campaign for repeal of the Eighth Amendment. And before it was even a campaign, I was vocally pro-choice on there. Um, that can be a risky thing to do. Um, but again, I just, I, I wouldn't have been able to sleep if I hadn't said something, used that platform, which was created by jokes to say something. Um, and I didn't see them as mutually exclusive. I thought there was a way. I was looking for a way to be funny and still say, well, look, this happened to me. This happened to me. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. It happened to me. La, la, la. Um, and I eventually found a way to do that in, in, a, in, a, a, in a theatrical piece. Mm. Um, but I suppose that's what I was looking for when I was trying to mix the two. But I kept wanting to just go back to the jokes and go, this is who I am. This, you know, an entertainer, someone who makes things funny, even if they're serious topics, I can... I can hopefully bring some kind of humorous flavour to it. But I wasn't allowed anymore. I was now some kind of pariah or there was all kinds of, of calling into question of my integrity, actually, that the, the, my motivations for campaigning for repeal or, you know, almost as if I was getting paid like a public servant would be or something. When I, I volunteered and as most people I know did, they were, you know, they were, whether they were in offices or whether they were just wearing badges and going out canvassing, they weren't getting paid. They were doing it because they felt it was right. And I risked my, I had a platform, but I risked my platform. So, and, you know, Roisin Ingle of the Irish Times, she did as well. Because people have no idea how many people were in our ears. And I hope she won't mind me saying this. I'm, I'm pretty sure she won't. But how many people were in our ears saying you're risking everything by opening up about this? You're going to be the person who forever. And, you know, maybe we will. But there are so many other people who... 
in every family there's someone um, and we wanted to sort of say look if we have these platforms if we have like you know she has her journalism and I had you know a certain Twitter following that was really all the I wasn't on telly at the time I, you know I don't have a regular uh, newspaper spot or anything like that um, so it was really just my Twitter feed <laughs> my social media but if we didn't use our followings to say something, well, then why do you have, what do you have a following for? If all you're saying is I'm great, <laughs> look how great I am! I'm amazing! I'm amazing! You have to do a bit of that. You know yourself as a performer, it's tedious and it also makes you feel a little bit like a, an imposter. But you have to do a bit of woo! Look what I did today because you're kind of going. I'm working, everybody. Look, look! I have a gig. <laughs> I could maybe get some more gigs. <laughs> Yeah. So often that comes from a place of insecurity about where the next thing is coming from because we're all at the end of the day freelancers. But it was a tricky thing to do as a freelancer and a lot of work did fall away. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. Like from taking the stance that you took and obviously, you know, thank God when, when it came to the vote, like it was, I don't want to say overwhelming, but I mean, it was much more overwhelming than we thought it would it be. It was overwhelming. It, yeah. it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um. Do you think that like the 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 other like the 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 no voters and and the other demographic have been well like you know if it was a thing of like I don't know whether it's like casting or or columns or stuff that people do look and they go well Tara's opinion is actually very polarizing do you think that that has got in the way of uh, yeah maybe maybe and mm. I'll never know for sure because yeah. those those things will happen out of my earshot mm. um but there'll be a lot of that, especially in the sort of lighter entertainment end of things. That's okay. I don't necessarily lean towards that sort of work anymore. Anyway, I want to say something in the work that I do. Um, but what people have to remember is I'm just a person. So it's not that my opinion is polarizing. What I used my platform to say was, this happened to me. The fact that it happens can't be polarizing. And yet that's how it's viewed or tilted or twisted by others who then take the narrative away from you. Mm-hmm. A lot of the sort of more scandalous things that the, the, the newspapers have run me three times in the last year, the the more sort of tabloidy sort of newspapers looking for goss. Um, and I had never instigated any of the things that had happened. They were things that had been said about me or happened near me. Right. And all I could say was, well, I didn't say it, so I have no comment mm-hmm. or I didn't do it. So I have no comment. Like, that, you know, um, so it, it's it been a very strange year. But so when there's sort of scandal and that's and it's been whipped up by other people and it's not true or they're taking what I did say and twisting it like I've had my, uh, you know, my if people don't know, the, there were sweaters that we wore that just said the word repeal, rep- like which was to stand for repeal the Eighth Amendment. I had it photoshopped by anti-choicers and a special Facebook page made to share it and make sure people saw it as if it was a pro-choice page. Um, And it said, you know, it said really horrible things. I don't want to dwell on these things. But uh, that stink stays around you, even if you don't do it. Um, I did have a crisis pregnancy. I did travel for an abortion. That happened to me. People don't know my intimate reasons or feelings or thoughts or all the different factors that surrounded me at the time they can never know I've made my peace with that I've done a show that tries to explain what someone might go through and make it funny it wasn't funny it wasn't a funny time so to be pilloried for something that they don't understand and they weren't there for and then to have the peripheral stuff the campaigning and all that dragged into it as well is like I'm 
I'm doing my, I'm just one person. I'm not even in together for yes. I don't have an office I can go into and, con- you know, have people to console me or counsel me, even though, you know, there were individuals in there who were absolutely brilliant and did perform that very function and, you know, very kindly just gave me hugs. Um, but I was out on my own and just telling the truth and that was it. <laughs> and yet that's polarizing, you know, yeah. because it is what people call a divisive issue, except it's not that divisive because at the end of the day, people either go, I would have one or I wouldn't. And they don't know till they are faced with a crisis pregnancy for them with themselves or their family. They don't know that. They honestly don't until they're faced with it. That I can tell you because many people are anti-choice until the minute there's a cri- they're faced with a crisis pregnancy. But all I did was say this happened to me and and most people go, yeah, well, it's your business. Most people go, it's your business. And if I say, would you force me to remain pregnant against my will? They go, no. They find that barbaric in their heads, even though they might think in their heads that you know, people didn't know about abortion pills or, or how how different early term abortion is in their heads to what they've heard. Mm. Um, you know, so there was a lot of misinformation out there and combating that was hard. But most, most Irish people are not just Irish people, most people living in Ireland um, are are pretty compassionate and don't want to be in other people's business. And that, I think, is why the vote was overwhelming. Yeah. Love it. Right. Oh, that's okay. Anyway, let's do a fun one. Let's do a fun one. Yay! Hope it's not super dark. Then. Oh, if it's, if it's super dark, I just have to make up jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, number three. Uh, do you have a song? I don't have it. I keep forgetting to look down. I'm just listening to you saying numbers. I don't have number three, you no, cheat. No worries. <laughs> I am a cheat. No. <laughs> number three, the question is, do you consider yourself a jealous person? Yeah. God, yes. I have to really sit on that. I think there's there's lots of stuff in performers who like, where did they get that gig and not me? What's wrong with me? Um, and of course then, like in in romantic terms, God, I'm fierce jealous. Yeah, I really have to sit in it. I don't I don't voice my jealousy half as much as it happens because I know so much of it is irrational and it's only age that's really getting me there. It's like I have to sit on loads of it just going, you are being an idiot, Tara. You're being a total idiot. You are just letting this little burning sensation, could be indigestion, could be jealousy, Probably jealousy. Maybe you should have chewed your food a bit harder as well. But also, that little burning sensation is yours to control because it's it's not happening. You know, nobody's giving you any reason to believe this. Or you know, let's say it does happen every now and again when someone will hit on your partner when you're there, and that's not just it's not just oh they're hitting on my partner. It's like am I not hittable? What about me? I'm sitting right here. <laughs> So there's a bit of, am I invisible? Or you think, oh, uh, so yeah, I have to sit on all that. It's totally irrational and it's pointless. It's pointless emotion. But I have to work on that almost every day, both professional and personal. Jealous. Yes, jealous. Yes, loads. How does it make you feel when someone hits on you that isn't your partner? Um, I It, it doesn't really happen so much when I'm with a partner. It's funny, isn't it? That dynamic of, you know, that a woman with a, a man is kind of, yeah, back off. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. But a man is sort of a prize, I guess. Is, is it that? I'm formulating this idea as I go and I'm going, in traditional roles, is a guy, you know, I don't know. That's It's weird, isn't it? But it seems to, yeah, a guy standing next to a woman tends to be a big signal to back off. Mm. You know, even if he's not a romantic partner. That's probably all fucked up and messed up and not coming out right. But I'm wondering about traditional roles and if that's the factor. But yeah, if I'm, it might happen if I'm not with him, in which case I just sort of, you know, I do that thing of 
I'll flash the wedding ring. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, pre-married me would have been like, oh my God, shouldn't your word of saying, I'm just not interested, be enough? Or gentle hints like, no, thank you. <laughs> shouldn't that be enough? But now I just use that prop. I will use it if it's going to cut things short and just lead to a nicer, quicker evening. Did you always think you'd get married? No, no. I never had that white dress sort of fantasy. I never had that. My wedding day will be like this. And and then as I was getting older, I was going, well, I, it turns out I'm not going to get married. I didn't meet Carl till I was 37. Mm. Um, we didn't get married for a year and a half. I was just turning, I was 39, I think, when we married. So I had kind of gone, well, I'm not going to get married. And that's actually okay. Well, there were moments where it wasn't okay. And I, I was lonely or I wanted a partner or whatever it was, just that intimacy, which is a lovely thing, you know, if you're into that. Um, but I didn't meet him for so long that I kind of went, well, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. So, and even I was buying into that very, again, traditional role thing and an ageist thing of, well, I'm on the shelf now. You know, that like th- those terms they used to use, like after the age of, I guess, 25 back in the day, maybe 35 now, yeah. but spinster. I eat your spinster, like even in It's a Wonderful Life, which I will be watching with gusto over Christmas. You know, what happened to Mary in the alternate universe? Oh, no, she's an old maid. The worst thing that could happen in mm. traditional roles land. And it's like, I suppose part of me had gone, well, OK, that's that's the land I dwell in now. So that's that's it. It's it's done. A, I a, didn't realise how bloody young I was <laughs> at the time because you listen to this ageist narrative. So that's another thing I'm trying to combat myself now in my work and in my, my everyday life um, is that ageism. But, you know, it's amazing how things go in, even though you know in your head, in your rational mind that they're traditionalist, that they're outdated, that they were makey-uppy anyway to give control to a particular group. But they still go in. Mm. So uh, I never thought I'd get married. And then and now look at me. Yeah, I know. The, the, the age thing is so funny because I'm going to sound stupid saying what I'm going to say. No. I'm 25, right? Yeah. I have that myself. I'm I know, like, of course you do. It's unbelievable. Because like, you're bombarded with it. I mean, I like... I, like it's so interesting. I don't know. It, is it like an ambition thing, or it's like, well, I mean, so and so is doing this at this age, and that's what I want to be doing long term, and I'm not doing it. I'm kind of far from it, but like, I'm real striving for it, you know. Yeah. And, and like, I'll be, and I, I have such an intellectual awareness that 25 is ridiculously young, and it's even younger now than it was 40 years yeah. ago because of how the world has changed and and, and the, the way the economy is, and so many different things. But it's you're so right. Like, I, I have this other voice that tells the sound like, oh, hurry well, up, hurry get, up, get hurry on up, with hurry it. up. But the thing is, if you can park that voice then it's never too late um, and there's it just ha- maybe it just hasn't been done by someone of that age yet mm. you know it hasn't been done by you yet and that opens up some vistas that were previously closed um, and that sort of panicky feeling like if something's biological like if someone does want to conceive that's better done slightly earlier it can be done later now it's better done slightly earlier you'll recover quicker you know you're more likely to conceive it's more likely to be healthy all of that that's a different so biological stuff is different but but with ambitions like you don't ever have to stop having them like you know you've to with acting you have to park certain roles you have to say goodbye to those sure. um, but but the rest of it, making your own work, that that doesn't have to happen. Now, I'm saying this and I sound like I know things and I sound like I have it sorted or that I'm managing this. I'm not always. I have whole days, weeks, months, years where I go, 
I'm washed up. It's too late. I haven't made it internationally. I'm I'm still going gig to gig. Therefore, I'm a failure. And it's something the trolls used to love to bring up as well. You know, like, who are you anyway? You never even made it. I was like, well, I'm still here. So I've kind of made it. <laughs> I'm still going from gig to gig. I haven't for a long time had to get work outside of the business. And I work very hard to try and stay within the business. It means I have to do certain gigs uh, that are just for money. It means I have to do other gigs that I hope have um, have a bit more meaning to yeah. them. But uh, if I can find that balance, I'll consider myself to be doing okay. It's a long time now since I've, if, since I've had to get work outside the business. It may happen again in the future and that'll be fine too. But it is, it, it's a conversation I have with myself all the time. I just have to battle it. But we are bombarded with it culturally and I think it's time to push back a little bit. Mm, love it. All right, let's give it a spin. I'm, I'm poised, poised with my pen to see if I have another of the numbers. Yeah, number 45. No. Oh, what a fix. No. <laughs> no so worries. sorry I came to this bingo parlour of no. doom. You've still got another few minutes to go as well. This torture. Uh, here we go. Number 45. Was there a catalyst moment that made you want to pursue your acting career, your comedy career, however you want to frame it. Uh, no catalyst moment for acting. That was just something I always, always wanted to do. And I don't know where it came from. In a Catholic school, uh, living in the countryside with very little telly. I It was maybe the imagination part. Mm. I don't know where it came from um, that I even thought it would be possible. Uh, but I did any any amateur dramatics that were going on in Kinsale I did any school plays that were going I just I just wanted it I wanted it from the get go and I don't know why um, but it was there and uh, the comedy then was I'd been acting for a while and I was going to comedy when I moved up to Dublin and I was going to so much comedy being, becoming such a super fan that I started to get to know all the comics and I started doing the door for the improv because they were like you can't be you can't be paying anymore. You're here all the time. So would you do the door? So I did the door for them for years and doing the odd workshop with them. But I didn't get into the group for a long time. And then the Nulas happened almost by accident. We were at a party. There was a guitar and we, the three of us, myself, Anne Gildy and Sue Collins, we just started writing songs there and then and decided, I don't know why, again on a whim, to meet up the next week and keep writing. So... Uh, that was, then suddenly I was seen as a comedian and every time I tried to go back to straight acting and pursue my Hedda dreams you know to, to be Juliet eventually Juliet Stevenson yeah. um, I, I was seen as a comic and put in that box so it was a funny one trying to go back to so-called straight acting and being perceived as comedic and then but not doing stand-up at the time it was one of the reasons I went to do stand-up I thought at least I can control this a bit I can do gigs Rather than sitting here waiting for straight acting gigs to come in when I'm com- considered a comedian, maybe I'll lean into this comedy lark. And then I got I got work with the improv, which was that's like heaven for me because it's a, it's characters and it's so it's kind of acting and it's jokes as well. So um, I know a lot of people like longer form improv and but I love the, and, and scenes that can develop. I, I'm a big fan of watching that. I love doing it, too. But my big it really scratches lots of itches when there are gags and characters. Mm. That's heaven for me. It's interesting what you're talking about, that feeling of being boxed off like as yeah. the different things because one of the things, like as an outsider looking in, your career looks so incredibly diverse. I mean, before we did the episode, I actually recorded a little intro just and I was looking, you know, oh, on, no. on your website. <laughs> yeah, I had a look at the Wikipedia as well. Oh, <laughs> All no. the things, you know, but like, is in it's unbelievable between like the books, the improv, the music, the theatre, the 
like writing Edinburgh Fringes, all of the the things. Mm. What would you say has been the key to keeping it as diverse? To stay, to stay working, to always stay working, to always be making something. Um, so there was a lot of time where I was I was earning money from voiceovers, uh, but I wasn't really creating a huge amount. So it was to find it's that challenge of keep making, keep creating, and then staying in the business if you can so you have to diversify within that business so it was either you know do a secretarial course which I did in the 90s and get a job in an office temporarily or or branch out a little bit and if someone says can you write a column even though you're bricking it and you're not sure how fall forward and say yes and figure out how and it might not your first one might not be great but your next one might be better and better and better and you know, I've tried to fall forward with with anything that happened. Like the the first book was was I, you know, it was it came from an idea of mine, but it was something that the publisher wanted. It was your grand, the Irish woman's secret guide to life. It was a one woman show I was working on in my head called. It was so there's the book French women don't get fat, and I was going to write the show called Irish women don't get cold. And uh, but the publisher didn't like that title. But I wanted to do a sort of spoof self help book. Like, why aren't there any books of Irish women offering advice? We've all the advice. Yeah, yeah. You know, women living in Ireland. If we can put up with that shite, then you know, Magdalene Laundries and the whole lot. But I didn't really delve into the Magdalene Laundries. It was meant to be a very funny book, so I didn't delve into the dark history too much. I just sort of hinted at it and over accepted the coping mechanisms. Mm. So then suddenly it's this quite light, silly book, but with a little, little undercurrent of oh is it really all grand are we grand can things get grander uh, so that was a falling forward though because the book kind of came I was chatting with Paul Howard um, a close associate of Russell Carroll Kelly is a, a close associate of yours yeah. um, uh, he was online at some stage uh, it was a weekend I remember I was kind of just dotting around having a look at Twitter and he said something about the book French Women Don't Get Fat and I said I've always had the idea to write French or Irish Women Don't Get Cold and he direct messaged me and said if you don't write that I'm gonna and so he basically then very kindly put me in touch with a publisher right. an editor that he knew and uh we got on like a house on fire and we had a real lot of fun then, myself and the editor, Kira Considine, she's incredible, putting the book together so that it had that heart of things haven't really been great, even though we won't delve into them because it's a fun book, but they're they're quite light. But but that was, sorry, you know, going off your question a little mm. bit, but it's saying yes and figuring it out. You know, I figured it out with an editor. I figured it out by just, you start, you put pen to paper. And you, you let go of my old enemy, the, the well, what if it's not perfect? It won't be perfect. It won't be perfect. It's probably not my best writing. It's my, it's very fun. And I'm f- so fond of that book. It's out of print, but I'm sure people can find it in secondhand bookshops and things like that and libraries. But it's uh, it was so brilliant to just say yes. And then and then people really enjoy it. You know, people enjoy it. They don't know what you have in your head is what might be perfect. They want to respond to something. Yeah, it's amazing. Love it. Right. Here we go. Woo! Number where are we? number six. Uh, no, I don't have six. Oh no worries. Number six. If you couldn't be doing uh, the career you're in right now, what would you have pursued? That is a million dollar question. I'm not sure. I when I was fourteen, I'd have said I'd have been a vet. Mm. That was the link with the animals again. You want to just talk to them? Yeah, I want to just a, talk to them all a vet day. Therapist, yeah. Especially when they're sick and make them better. Mm. Yeah, no, vets work so hard, and it's like I've realised now having pets of my own as an adult I have a dog and a cat um, 
they're so often they are counsellors to humans as well. It's just such an unreal job. They First of all, they have to do the basic medicine, that, you know, basic anatomy and biology and all that, like like human doctors do. And then they have to special, specialise in all the other, the different species. So they're in college forever and ever. And then they go out and, and get placements and then they have to mind crying humans all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's such a wild job. Uh, I would never have been able for it. Mm. But I'm in awe of them. Yeah. All right. No, they're amazing. <laughs> Super vet. All right, here we go. Number, where are we? Number 53. Do you have it? No, I have 51. Is that any good to you? That's absolutely no use. <sighs> what is the greatest piece of art you've ever witnessed? Oh. Oh, God. That's a horrible question. Yeah. Um, uh, I've answered this before. And this is going to sound boring, but my sister makes incredible pieces of work. She makes incredible pots. Wow. Yeah, she's she makes really beautiful sculptural things. And uh, she's diversified now into bronze. And again, as I say, she spent so long just making, just making and not it not really clicking. I mean, the, the art world would kind of go, this is really lovely, but it didn't really click for her. And now she's got an international audience and she has exhibitions in London. And her work is so beautiful. Sarah Flynn, S-A-R-A, no H. Mm. S-A-R-A, Flynn, same as mine. Tara and Sarah, friends of ours used to call us. Tara and Sarah, Tara and Tara and Sarah. Mine was picked because I was supposed to be John and hers was picked named after the grandmother. So it was just a coincidence. But anyway, her work is so beautiful. Honest, this is the honest answer. It's partly knowing how she's evolved. It's partly knowing uh, how the shapes have changed and how she's just been really brave to commit to what it is she sees in her head and believes in and that that has found her audience is really intriguing yeah that's interesting because you know going back to what we were talking about with the comedians at the back of the room with the arms closed and not that they're not enjoying it but they're analysing it they're yeah. seeing what what's actually going on here to what extent do you do that like knowing the intricacies of your sister's life and like the you know messed up way we all grew up and you know like the relationships she's had the friendships that have fallen apart can you see it in the art I, yeah I mean I mean she does she just does she has some beautiful themes which I won't reveal in case she doesn't want, want me to um, but they can probably be read about now <laughs> but uh, she, I can see yeah I can see how it's evolved I can't believe it almost because I I came out of the same womb we grew up in the same house in the countryside with no public transport going past and my hands can't do what she does. We took the same, there was a, in between our house and Kinsale, there was Jago's Mills and there was a, a pottery there. They used to sell um, souvenirs and things like that and, and their own work and they used to do a class on a Friday night and we went a few weeks and like Sarah was making stuff and I was making stuff but neither of us sort of went oh my god this is what I want to do for my life Sarah certainly didn't but my stuff mum still has the odd one or two bits like ashtrays do you remember ashtrays? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, but uh, mine are shite and Sarah's are amazing <laughs> it was like even then before she knew she, her hands knew but so I look and go how does anyone do that it's like is she possessed? Is she a witch? How does she do this? How how I just can't understand how she can translate what she see the 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 I'm sure she has the same creative noise in her head that I do. Mine comes out in words and hers comes out in shapes. Mm. And it's just fascinating. Yeah, to it's me. amazing. Sarah Flynn, please check her out. Yeah, super. Right, let's go to Finn. All right, here we go. Oh, uh we have number twenty seven. Do you have it? I don't. I have 29. This You're going to tell me that's no good either. That's absolutely useless. Even worse than the last one. Uh, number 27. <laughs> what is your relationship, if any, to the gym? 
Oh, regular, regular. But uh, the gym is now my living room. Um, last year, with everything that was happening with uh, the campaign and everything, I wasn't doing very well around people, even though I was able to turn it on like performers can when I was in public or had to speak. I wasn't doing very, very well around people, so the gym wasn't a great place for me. Um, and also not earning so regularly, it's, it became an expensive luxury even though I loved I don't think it's a, I think if you can afford it it's a brilliant thing it, it, I think it saved medical bills <laughs> or it can it's definitely for, for the, the count sure. but I now uh, I have some YouTube friends um, they'll never know me but I I have sets of weights at home and I I walk the dog all the time I've you know I've run in the past but uh, you know the joints aren't really able to run anymore which is horrible I hate it they make mm. noises I hate my joints making noises but I do like to weight train and I like to circuit train and I do that at home on mm. my computer. When you say, like, when you say, you know, during the whole summer, like, it wasn't good being around people, was it like an anxiety sort of a thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was just, I suppose, as well, you're giving away so much on a campaign. This, I think many campaigners would tell you this and pretty much everybody in the country was a campaigner. Mm. So uh, in their own way, whatever way they, they manifested that or, or approached it, um, it's... Uh, Oh, sorry, what was your question? I got a bit lost. No, it sorry. was just about what, what was it like an anxiety yeah. induced? So it was also that you're giving, you using all the energy you have left to do the public stuff mm. so that then in private you've nothing left. Yeah. You're kind of a bit of a puddle on the floor and puddles on the floor, they're only mopped up at the gym. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, you're supposed to mop them up, you know, spray it down, mop it up. So there was a bit of that. So sorry, my head went a bit wandery there, uh, but I suppose it was it was resisting talking about anxiety. <laughs> I know, of course. And and during those moments, what is creativity something that was an escape for you or was it something that, again, there was just no room for it? No room. Mm. I wasn't able. It, I, I not only couldn't write, I couldn't read. Uh, I, I, I just felt... I mean, inert is the best word for it. I was just there. Mm. Um, every scrap of energy was going into the campaign. But again, that's not just me. That's not unique. Sure. That was pretty much everybody. People put their work on hold. Everybody put their work on hold yeah. who wanted to really... There was. We had a feeling there'd be no second chances, so everyone threw everything at it. But in terms of creativity, that meant there was no juice left in the tank. Yeah. So I did try to write things every now and again just to keep as sharp as I could and I you know I'm very lucky I have a column in Tatler so I would always write that and make sure I rewrote that loads and loads and loads I was working on the book Raging for head stuff but that material already existed so I was editing that was that was a godsend because it was it was still creative there were still new things that had to be um, updated or they wanted some new material editing was brilliant because it made me feel connected to the work I, I had to get back to I have to get back to it um, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't quite there in the in the final year, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I was able to do the play that I had written already. So that was not a funny word. That was already written before those final, final days. So, uh, yeah, I was very lucky in those ways that some of the work was banked. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's funny because I, I probably was, for the first time in my life, I'd say I went through like recently, like over the last couple of months, now nothing extreme, but I was going through like a hard time and probably a little bit of... I'm really sorry. Oh, thank you so much. But it was, it was so fine and I had a real good perspective on it, but I was like, oh, this is just a little bit of depression for the first mm -hmm. time for me, you know, and it was amazing how for the first time creatively, I was just a bit shot, you know, mm. and like in terms of, because I'd be like you, I, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd write six to seven days a week, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty like, and I, I love it. It's such an outlet for me. And, you know, in those couple of months, you know, the bum was going on the chair and like, 
I, I was there it was ready to happen and it just wasn't um, and I suppose one of the things that, that they always say is like those tough times you know that they always I don't know do you get this sometimes and maybe it happens sometimes like my dad will always say it to me if I'm having a hard time he'd be like yeah but like this is what all the the great artists say don't they? that's what in, in, you know inspires the greatest works has that been your experience those moments of suffering have they led to like your best work or do you think that's a myth I think they do but I think it takes time I, I don't know if you can write in the eye of the storm but I think the storm is then going to be something to write about well that was the other thing is like I could have written my tushy off in the last year but I've I'd only have one thing to say you know and so I'm looking forward to to talking about all kinds of things yeah. again that's why I love an interview like this where we touch on it because it's impossible not to touch on it because it's so recent but there's so much else going on and there's so much else to talk about and that's very exciting this will have to be dealt with creatively at some point in a way in terms of the campaign and how all that and the pain of that because I had dealt with creatively in Not A Funny Word and in other things I've written with the actual crisis pregnancy. So that that had been, I've sort of dealt with that in a really emotional and also in my own genre, which is comedy, way, um, where, you know, it's it's a mixture of both. It's tragedy and comedy. It's both. Um, and then uh, the rest of it is, I suppose, just getting back to how do you write about everything else? Mm. And, and writing about the rest of the stuff that happened, whether that'll be a journalistic thing or whether it'll be fiction based on, who knows? I don't know yet. It's exciting. Hopefully that'll come out. Yeah, amazing. Right, let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. Number five. You got a lot of balls. A lot of balls. We're nearly there. Last. What do you get? Number five. No, I don't. I could scribble out the one in 51. Uh, no, please no. don't do that. No. Please, we'll be ejected from oh. the building. Do you believe in ghosts? I don't. Again, I did. Mm. I thought, oh, I, I'd never seen one or anything. I wanted to see one. But I don't really. I actually just did something on my own podcast today about this. Go away. That's so weird. <gasps> maybe I do believe in them now. Yeah. Ah, um, maybe they pulled 37 out of the... No, I don't. And it's the same reason. It's the afterlife question. So if you want to spin again and... You know, because I would be saying the same stuff. Really. No, that's fine. Um, it's really interesting you're saying because when I was doing the intro for this, I was talking about your podcast because I've been listening and it's great. Ah, but, but no, but I, I think like there's, it's funny. I was like, um, I was saying, you know, if you lo- if you like my podcast, I feel like you'd like your podcast because you know, without wanting to put words in your mouth, I feel like we're interested in similar kind of yeah, things. Yeah, I I give that assessment. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Like what? But was it as simple as just the the afterlife thing? Like, did you have ghosts and? God and afterlife in the same I had just been walking the dog I had just been walking the dog this is how this came up in my own podcast today I had just been walking the dog and I've been listening a lot to you're not going to believe this but it's like I I always go to the nth degree when I'm thinking about something to the nth degree so I've been thinking a lot about belief and all that and my lack thereof so I've been listening to a lot of historical biblical podcasts okay <laughs> yeah, people might be shocked, but yeah. I do. Uh, you know about the historical Jesus, or you know, uh, wh- which bits of the Bible came from where in in history? In was it mythology? Was it history? Was it you know archaeology? Wh- what was it? So I've been listening to a lot of those, I've, and I was listening to one about I wanted to hear about the Salem witch trials, so I was listening to something about the paranormal, and I was just going, there are lads going around the place looking for ghosts. And getting paid for it. 
And I, I mean, that, what an amazing job that would be yeah. if only I believed in them. Mm. That's where the discussion came from in my head today. But it's just so mad that you would ask that today. Yeah, weird, weird, <laughs> weird. All right, we're going to tune in for the rest of the rest of all that good stuff in yours. Okay, uh, here we go. Number 49. Do you have it? 49. No, 59. Oh, yes, I do have it. Plus yeah, one, plus you can just ten. start lying if you want. You're not going to get it now. Uh, number 49. Oh, this is a good one for your podcast, actually, or just in general. But if there was one person you could choose to interview, who would it be? Oh, that's... Ooh. Ooh. I think someone like Madonna or Cher, someone who's been in the business, their business, a long, long, long time. Someone who's battled misogyny and ageism and still going mm. and still fresh and hilarious and going, fuck it. You, you'll, I'll tell you when I'm done, you know, and, and on their terms. So not going, oh, why is she wearing those outfits now? Just going, fuck it. I look good. I'm fucking wearing it. And I'd love to interview someone like that. That would just be, ah, oh, just I would just love it. And even if they, you know, were stroppy with me, I would still love to just be in their presence and go, you rock. God, you know, as much as. And, and you know, again, culturally, I've indulged in that ageism. I've gone, what's she doing at that age? You know, she's probably 35. Mm. Or I've indulged in internalized misogyny where I've gone, oh, that's, is that a bit slutty? You know, stuff I really regret now and I want to address in where they came from. What, what was I being fed that made me think that was okay to say or even part of the pack to say? I'd love to address some of that and hear how they've gone through as the focuses of those sorts of things. It's so funny you say that because just as you were, we were talking about it, I was like, I was answering the question myself and I was like, I don't know about you, I have a list, like I have like a list of people who like, I'm pretty sure we'll do the podcast, then I've got like a dream list (gasps) and I know, if I'm being real honest, like the top three names of my dream list are all male. Yeah, with the podcast, we have like I think we actually have more women who've done like it's completely fifty fifty without ever being an effort. Like it's just how you it happens. Absolute sexist. Oh, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was like, might it be like it would be Glenn Hansard, it'd be Blind Boy, and it'd be Conor McPherson. Wow, they're three okay. people who I'd adore to have on. But but I always try and like same with music. Like I'll just be honest with you, and this is, I'm not aware of this sexism, but I listen to pretty much no music by female voices. Like pretty much none. Listen, part of it is it's just the way it is out there. There, there is a predominance of you know male-dominated culture. That's mm. okay. We just start to see it. You know, it's white-dominated too. We just we start to see it. Naming it is really important. Mm. Then we see it, and then we start to address it and go. Actually, the next time I'm going looking for a new album, maybe I'll look for you know somebody else. You know, um, somebody who who doesn't look or sound like me. You know, but it takes it takes a bit of work because. We come up in our little bubbles. We come up with what we know. And it's very, very easy to just go, this is how things are. But the amazing thing is, things never have to be how they are. Mm. They they are how they seem. They can, they can be whatever they we want them to be. We can reshape the culture. Um, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. But I think the right questions are being asked now. And it's like, no one's getting outraged or saying, oh dear, you're so like, you know I was joking when I said, oh, you're sexy. Like, you, you totally know that. You have the tone and you've got my expression to go away. But if I if we said something like that online, people go, hey, look, he's just saying there there are artists that he likes. There are artists I like too. You know, so they'd be on my dream list too. But it's like you ask mine and I go, Well, though them because I know that they've gone through the ageism, the sexism, they've had giant careers which have brought extra pressures. Like when you've got that kind of money and that kind of that kind of global fame, 
I can only imagine. So I'd love to pick their brains on that. Mm. I'd love to hear what from them what that was like, especially when they were kind of doing it first. Yeah. You know, and um you know, but it's 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 a good question to ask ourselves. Who's mm. who's not in the room? Who who am I not listening to? I I'm asking myself that a lot. And that's a focus of my podcast as well, is me questioning where I'm where I'm still blind. Mm-hmm. on those things yeah I think that that like you know we were we were talking earlier and like I was just asking you about the word integrity and what it meant to you I think like that's something and I don't know if I can put a word on it maybe it's like a malleability or something but like in people I'm so attracted to someone uh, so attracted to someone who can you know I don't know just be open to that change because yeah it's, it's really it's inter- hard it's so hard and it's so funny how you know and like I'm definitely guilty of it as well like people are, like it doesn't matter of like age or gender or nothing but we kind of there's a tendency sometimes in certain people to just be like, well, that's just the way I am. And like, as if like, as if you can't challenge it. you stop. Yeah. Oh, that's how I am. That was it. Thursday, the 14th of, of July, 1957. That's when I became who I am. And that was the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, in 10 years time, I'll be a completely different person. I hope I'll have the same values, but I'll probably be approaching things differently. You'll be different at 35 you know, change is great. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable to think that we have blind spots. Mm. It's very uncomfortable because we don't intend harm. Mm-hmm. And when we don't intend harm, it, it, it can sound like someone saying, you're being harmful. You're going, oh, I, I don't mean to be harmful. So you stop listening. And actually, if you just go, oh, I thought about that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it can lead somewhere new. And that's interesting to me. I'm Again, when I learn how to do that, I'll be letting everybody know I'm as defensive as the next person. I really have to deal with my own internalized stuff, you know, and I've got a, a slightly, slightly extra generational layer of it, too. So I really have to work hard at it. But sometimes it's fun work. Mm-hmm. You know, just because it's hard work doesn't mean it's not fun. Yeah, big time. Right, we have time for one more. Oh, Jesus. Well, try get you. Try get your number. Come on. I feel bad now how much you've failed. I'm such a failure. Oh, I don't think I'm going <laughs> to. Number 60? No. No. I'm so sorry. No. You're I'm not sorry. Look at that grin. Yeah, You're I know. delighted with yourself. If it, if it makes you feel any better, um, people have like whitewashed completely. Ah, oh, look. Got, I got one. You did get one. The very first one. So uh, that's a bad omen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a pity one. Um, oh, weird way to end, but... um. <laughs> Oh God! Now, now it's weird. <laughs> oh, sorry about this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you ever had a near-death experience? Oh, I think I have, but I wasn't aware of it. Well, I've had two. Kind of had three. So one, one. I was very lucky. I was sitting in the back seat of a car. There was a crash at a very slow. I was going to say temperature speed. <laughs> I'm quite tired. Very slow speed. I had just sat back. I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I had just sat back from between the two passengers, the front seats. Mm. Um. And my handbag went out through the the windscreen, which I would have done if I had been there. Instead, I just slammed into the back of one of the seats. So that wasn't like a near-death experience in that way. But I was very, very lucky. Mm. Um, I fell off a gate when I was two and I have no sense of smell. Really? And I was unconscious and my mum thought I was going to die. But she thinks that because I was her firstborn that she, you know, and and I'm not even sure if Sarah had been born yet. So maybe even only child at the time. I was only just two. I was toddling and I fell off a gate onto my head. I was unconscious, but I have no sense of smell. People believe as a result of that because it's the only accident we can think of that was that was early enough that that would have been. So, but I was fine. I was fine, but no sense of smell. Um, And when I was about 14, 
I went in to have my adenoids out inside an hospital and I woke up after suppose I went into I went into theater I woke up and I was in the bed and the surgeon was sitting next to the bed I'm not going to name hospitals or anything because this could be a giant it will never be because I'm never going to ever pursue it I'm sure everyone is long gone now anyway but this is what happened so woke up surgeon was next to the bed every muscle in my body ached every single muscle and uh for the next 2 weeks I couldn't I couldn't really walk um and I uh I had to come back in and get the whole procedure done again. But there was a different anaesthetist and all that. And we were told, because everyone else had been sent home from the ward, they usually do three or four people at a time because it's a very simple procedure. Mm. And uh, basically what happened was my aunt, who was a nurse, when I told her that story years later, she said, well, they told you there was a problem with a machine. That's why they couldn't do it. They couldn't operate that day. She said, it sounds to me like you either you overdosed an anesthetic or you didn't come to or something that the pain in your body was from having compressions <laughs> to bring you to and that that's why everyone else was gone from the ward and the surgeon they don't sit by your bed I, it wasn't some great service it was him going is she going to wake up so I wasn't there for it and let me tell you it'd be a fantastic way to go but it means I'm absolutely terrified of going under I'm terrified of anesthetic Oh my god! Yeah, that's an amazing. I'm so glad I asked that question. No, this is a this is a theory by an auntie. Sure, but she is in the medical profession. But that's her theory. Man, and it fit. I got <gasps> I got them out when I was a kid as well. Because the only reason I remember is because I, I I couldn't. I used to say asteroids or something. Astro- I'm getting me asteroids out or whatever it was. You know. <laughs> I love it. It's so cute. Oh my god! Jeez, oh well, I'm glad you're still here. Thank like. you for now. Yeah, for now. For now, yeah. Well, we'll see look, what happens. And if if you do go, feel free to come back as a ghost to me and let me know how the afterlife theory is going. I will. All, all you'll know, all, you, all you'll hear is uh, you just you'll think is that the wind, and then you'll hear thirty-seven. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I will and all. <laughs> Tara Flynn, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks uh, for having me. This has been the perfect episode, the perfect hundredth episode. Oh, um, I, I just um quick plug for like the the podcast uh, the head stuff book all the bits anything coming yeah, up whatever uh, you want Taranoia is the podcast um, so I'd love people to find that on their uh, podcast platform of choice only after you've listened to Personality Bingo of course obviously, obviously. Yeah, but that's your that's your homework and then you know if, if you're good at your homework you're allowed maybe look at other things um, and uh, Rage In is in shops now in, in it's basically a co-production with Head Stuff so, and Mercier Press so please please buy books that'd be lovely thank you amazing Tara Flynn thanks so much for being the 100th guest on Yay! Personality Bingo I hope I didn't let you down So, guys, that was the amazing Tara Flynn bringing it home for 100 episodes for Personality Bingo. Tara, if you're listening, look, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do this. I really can't thank you enough. You were so kind in your emails. It's kind of amazing uh, the things you learn about, like, how to get back to people when you're, when you're doing a podcast. Some people just have it down. I mean, I shot Tara uh, this groveling email being like, look, I love you, I love you, I love you. Is there any chance you'll do my podcast? And she was just like, oh, my God, yes, not even a question. I mean, she literally wrote yes in all capital letters. And I can't tell you 
you the things that does for like an anxious little podcast host so I mean Tara thank you so much for, for your kindness your honesty and uh, the great crack that we had on that chat I appreciate it so much as well I already said it all guys but thank you so much for listening uh, I love the bones of you thanks so much for just uh, the support and look um, any help that you can give between now and our next few episodes let's keep ramping those numbers up keep making their personality bingo the success it's been so far I love the podcast I love the idea and I love the fact that you love it too so again thank you thank you thank you as always to the amazing boss woman Erin Lindsay for mixing editing and producing this podcast thank you so much to the brilliant Liam Moore and Anthony Manley for their amazing theme music thank you guys and to the phenomenal Connor Nolan for his deadly artwork Connor you're a star really appreciate it mate and as always to the amazing Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for everything they do for myself and everyone at Headstuff uh, at this point I do want to point out Tara Flynn's amazing podcast it's called Tara Noya she really gets into it in fact I actually think me and Tara are kind of interested in very very similar things so if you like personality bingo I would go so far as to say I guarantee you will like Tara Noya it's a podcast that I've been really enjoying diving into um, and just getting into the weird and wonderful mind of the fantastic Tara Flynn so guys enough for me we made it we made it we made it thank you so much for listening to the 100th episode where Tara Flynn played personality bingo with Tom Moore